1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But you, man of God, are free from all this and pursue righteousness, godly, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. <clears throat> God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing idea of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Would you join me as we pray together? Loving Father, we thank you for the, the joy, the opportunity of being able to meet together as a body of your people here today. We thank you for bringing us here. For every person that's sitting in a chair here today, thank you for that person who's here. And I'd like to say by your appointment. So bless you, Lord, and we ask that you'll continue to bless the time as we continue our worship time together. As we open your word and pray, you speak to us. Give us the ears to hear, the heart to receive, and the desire to do, put into practice the things you teach us. And we pray this for your glory, Lord, for yours alone. Amen. Amen. So in this chapter, in the first part of chapter 6, Paul deals with those, you might see just briefly, Paul deals with those who did, not, who, who did not possess wealth, but who deeply desired it. Verses 3 to 10, we see that. Now from verses 17 to 19, he teaches those who had wealth, and then he instructs them regarding what their attitude should be toward it. And I want to touch on those attitudes as we go through this message this morning. But it's those words at the end of verse 17 that really grabbed me. And I think what Pastor Darrell said a couple of weeks ago, God just touched me and he confirmed for me that I need to speak this message this morning. Um, so it's the end of, the, of verse 17. Let me read it. Uh, that I want, I want to focus on this especially this morning. Uh, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Now look at these next words who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. When did you last ponder those words? 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The Christmas carol, joy to the world, the Lord is come. And I think we're going to be singing that at the end of the service. This was written by Isaac Watts. And as late as the 20th century, it was the most, most published Christmas hymn in North America. I don't know about Australia. And that's what this article from GodTube actually says. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And when you think about it, we as believers in Christ, more than any other peoples who inhabit this earth, have the greatest reason to know true joy, to experience true joy, to enjoy God's given enjoyment. Can you say amen to that? We are above any other peoples who indwell the earth, who inhabit the earth. And yet, I wonder, I wonder if I were to ask you today, how many of you as believers honestly struggle with the concept or the fact that God wants you to have enjoyment in your life and listen and not feel guilty about it and you know to me as I felt prompted by God to do this I'm thinking God this is not the good time to do this because look I want to acknowledge and I do with all my heart before I go any further we know people, there are people in this church who are going through enormous trials at the moment. There are a number of those who are still grieving and mourning the loss of loved ones. I acknowledge that. There are those who are suffering and dealing with loved ones who are going through terminal cancers and all kinds of stuff and other struggles that are going on. We've been you know, praying about the, the, the state of our land and, and so on. So I'm not expecting us to be happy clappers about all of those things. But I still feel prompted and sense that, that God would have us speak, would have me speak on this topic this morning that I want to share with you. Um, in his book, and I read this some years ago, and I probably need to read it again. It just really, it really, um, um, I don't know, transformed some of my thinking. But in his book called The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll, anyone read that book? You know, it's, a, it's an amazing book. Um, I read it, as I said, I read it some years ago. I probably need to read it again. Um, he sort of pulls no punches about this particular topic I want to talk about. And as I read this, you'll kind of get the hint as where I want to go with this this morning. You ready? Buckled in? Have a drink? Listen to this. Christians can be such shamers. We not only make people ashamed of their wrongs, we shame them for being different. I know a few Christians who, who, are, sorry, who have been made to feel ashamed because they never married. Others because they made a lot of money. All of it honestly and through hard work. Some told me they felt ashamed because their sickness didn't go away. And others because their depression didn't end quickly. Listen to this. I know one gentleman who is an absolute joy to be around. He told me it isn't uncommon for him to get looks as well as letters of rebuke because, because he has too much fun in his life. And I could go on with that. Good book. Read it. Might change your life. 
How true is that? Well, pretty true. I've heard some stories myself, but one that I can personally, personally, uh, uh, God brought this to my mind some years ago. I met a Christian bloke. Uh, he would have been in his 50s. He enjoyed cars. Now, I'm not talking about Gary Chadasco. Bless his heart. I love talking to that guy. But this guy, his hobby was to build hot rods. And I don't have time to tell you how he used this and how God used this amazing ministry. He was part of a Christian band and they used to go to churches and they would minister to churches and so on and so forth. He was one of them. And he was coming out to our church that, that particular day. He told me this story. He said as he came to the traffic lights, a set of traffic lights, he pulled up at a set of traffic lights and, and, uh, in his hot rod and, and a motorcycle cop pulled up alongside him. And, he, and the motorcycle cop lifted up his helmet, looked across and said, when are you going to grow up? And the guy turned around straight away and he said, what, and be boring like you? <laughs> the lights went green and off he went. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not, I sort of wouldn't advise you that you go talking to police like that. <laughs> but I want to tell you, he enjoyed what God had given him to enjoy and not even a boring motorcycle cop would rob him of that. And how sad it is that there are believers who have, or it seems to have, uh, who, who have no joy um, or enjoyment in their lives. And not only that, those who rob, who, who in turn rob others of their God-given enjoyment. It appears that there are those who believe that the Christian life, it's all about God simply calling us to endure various levels and seasons of hardship and misery. Sort of enduring rather than enjoying life as God intended. If that's the case, so why do we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come? My dear old pastor left a big impression on me, Graham Smith, I'll mention his name, beautiful man of God, who's now with the Lord in glory. He loved his people. I think I've shared this before as well. But I can remember one of his sermons. And in his sermons, he looked at us and he said, some Christians look like they've been baptised in lemon juice. I've never heard that before, but I want to tell you it changed our facial expressions forever and we've never been the same since. Listen to this by a guy called William Barclay. Don't always agree with what William Barclay says, but he has this reflection. He says this, speaking of Christians, he says, we are chosen for joy. However hard the Christian way, it is both in the travelling and in the goal, the way of joy. There is always a joy in doing the right thing when we evade some duty or some task that we know we're meant to be doing. When at last we set our hand to it, joy comes. The Christian is the person of joy. The Christian is the laughing cavalier of Christ. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. And nothing in all religious history has done Christianity more harm than its connection with black clothes and long faces. 
He wrote that a long time ago, no doubt. So look with me again, would you? Would you focus in this as God would have, me fo have us focus this morning? Would you look at what God is saying to us through his inspired, inerrant word? When he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their, God, their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Who's feeling guilty now that God really wants you to enjoy what he gives you? Because I think that we have a warped theology sometimes, brothers and sisters, I do. Let me suggest that there are some key points. I just want to mention four this morning that we need to learn and I suggest put into practice to enjoy God's gifts of enjoyment that he wants us to have. The first one goes like this. Firstly, acknowledge God as the giver. Acknowledge God as the giver. Look at what the scriptures are clearly saying to us. In verse 17, I want to sort of focus around verse 17, as I said in verse, in verse 18. But look at this. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Quite simply, this is how I look at it. You and I have because God gives. You, you know what I mean? I, I've said it before. If God held us, if God held his provision in his hand and he closed his hand, you and I would die. There's nothing that we have. He opens our hand to us by his grace and mercy, so we have. We have life because he gives it. He opens his hands to us. If he does this, and it would seem at the moment that God is doing this with the rain. And I wonder what's going on there. I wonder if God wants to bring us to our knees because we can't manufacture water, I don't think. We need it. God, we have because God gives. The hymn by Thomas Chisholm. I'm worrying a bit because I've got some old hymns that I'm, I'm quoting here this morning. No, I shouldn't be. The hymn by Thomas Chisholm echoes this same truth. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. It's so important that we acknowledge God as the giver of every provision that he has given to us. Because the fact is, he has wonderfully provided everything that we have including those things that he richly provides for our enjoyment. Look what James says, James 1 verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Underline that one. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Thank you, Lord. The Lord Jesus himself. I mean, what, what greater gift could we have than him? What a gift for our enjoyment, our eternal enjoyment. Lord, thank you for Jesus. But Jesus said this, the thief comes, to, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And what does it say after that? And have it to the 
to the full or to have it abundantly. Jesus is the giver of life with all of its fullness and enjoyments. And we need to acknowledge him. Thank you, Lord. You're the giver of everything. It all comes from you. And by the way, I want you to note in this verse, and someone who actually prayed this in our prayer meeting yesterday, just another little confirmation. Note in this verse who it is who would rob you of this, who would rob you of life, who would rob you of joy. And tragically, as I said before, some Christians allow this to happen to them. Don't let the enemy. He's a defeated foe. He's a liar, a cheat, a murderer, a deceiver. Don't let him rob you of what God's given you. He's a thief. Don't let him do it. And, and, and the sad thing is there are some Christians who unwittingly allow this thief to use them to rob others of their enjoyment. Chuck Swindoll, he calls it ungracious legalism. Be gone in the name of Jesus. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is joy. I don't want this garbage. Ungracious legalism? No, be gone. And my dear brother and sister, please, let it not be you. Make sure it's not you. Don't let the enemy take you and use you that way. We can also take a lesson from the hymn writer, Johnson Oatman. And he wrote this. When upon life's billows you, the tempest's tossed, you are the tempest tossed. He says, when you are discouraged, thinking all, thinking of, thinking all is lost, you'll get this bit. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You say amen to that. Thank you, Lord. You've given me life. Yep, it's hard and it's sad and our hearts weep with people who are weeping at the moment. But God, you've got something for us to do here. We need to know your joy and not be robbed of that. Joy in your enjoyment, Father. The second key point is this. Guard against greed and pride. Says it so clearly, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, so uncertain. And brothers and sisters, so is your life on this earth. So uncertain. And I have so many stories that could come into my mind as an ex-ambulance officer where I used to, I don't know, I may have been a bit strange, but I'd go to these cases sometimes and there'd be people and I'd be thinking, what were you planning to do today? Because your life's gone. They'd be young, they'd be old, they'd be well-dressed. One would actually drop dead on a dance floor. You know, things like that. And I'm thinking, life is so temporary. What, are they ready for that to happen to them? It used to move me like that. I'm probably a bit damaged from it still. <laughs> but, you know, don't, don't hang out for riches in this world, which is so uncertain in your life is. You know, we're on, and again, we were only reminded a few weeks ago about that parable of the rich fool in, in Luke chapter 12. I mean, how incredibly powerful is that parable? The rich fool, Luke 12, if you haven't read it, mark it down. Have a look at it, 13 to 21. This guy who figured out that he could just simply make more wealth for himself. He didn't have enough. Well, I'm going to make more. 
And then I'm going to simply lift, you know, sit back and, and he says, take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. That's what I'm going to do, he says. It's all about me. However, however, there was just one problem with that. He didn't account for verse 20. And a lot of people in our world today, and you might know them, they don't account for verse 20. Can I ask you, are you accounting for verse 20? Let me read it to you. But God, he says, I'm going to do all this. Yep, I'm going to sit back and take it easy. Life's going to be good. But he forgot the one thing, but God. There's a but God factor here. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. What now? What then? Who'll get all the things that you've prepared for yourself? You know, and, and when you think about it, to put one's hope in anything of this world is to have your hope in, in very is to have your hope in very uncertain things. In fact, the original Greek word in verse 17, <clears throat> the original word literally means the uncertainty of riches. <clears throat> the uncertainty of riches. And again, you know, how unwise, foolish, and short-sighted. To be selfish or proud of about anything that this world gives. Because one thing is certain. Such things are very uncertain. You following me? And so very temporary. Right of Proverbs got it right. Listen to what he says. Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout ring wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Who knows that happening to them? Open your wallet and it's all gone. Doesn't take long, does it? And in this same chapter... The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, who is to pass this on to other believers, he says this, magnificent words, may they soak into our soul, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a, and a trap and are trapped into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men, women, into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Make sure you get that one right. The love of money, folks, it's not money. Sometimes that's misquoted. Money is the root of all evil. No. Bible doesn't teach that. The love of money is. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So a good remedy to keep us from greed and pride is and to practice the first point, which was acknowledge God as the giver. This will then help you to apply the third key point, which is enjoy what God gives and be thankful. Enjoy what God gives and be thankful. Verse 17, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Thank you, Lord. Enjoy what God gives and be thankful. As I mentioned earlier before, some of us struggle with this, this whole concept of enjoyment. 
and to be free from any guilt. God, you've given us such a wonderful home, a beautiful car. Oh, goodness, Lord, so many other people that could have had... You know, you know what we do? We, 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 we almost tell God that what he did wasn't right. God, you didn't get it right when you blessed us with this. I was talking to a lady just recently. You'd know her. I'm not going to mention her name. Big problems in, in accepting what God has given her. She simply won't accept the good things that God's given. And it's tragic. We struggle with this sometimes. But, let, for, but again, let, let me be very clear about one thing here. And that is that there is a huge, a huge difference between self-centered indulgence and God-given enjoyment. Can you hear that? Huge difference. Differentiate between self-centered indulgence, which is everywhere in this world. We can be caught in that trap. Big difference between that and God-given enjoyment. That's what he wants. It also needs to be understood that this scripture is not saying that every enjoyment that we have necessarily comes from God either. We need to be aware of that. The fact is, sin can be very enjoyable, thank you very much. Sin can be very enjoyable, but listen, for a short time. For a short time. For example, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter we often call it, referring to Moses, it says, it says this about Moses, that he choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The passing pleasures of sin. There's, as I said, there's no denying the fact that some sins are very pleasurable. But note this, not only are they passing pleasures, but they're also cheap counterfeits, copies of true enjoyment that God wants to give his child in Christ. Don't settle for the cheap counterfeits. Get the real thing. And he's in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we acknowledge God as the giver, when we guard against greed and pride, then I believe we'll enjoy what God gives and we'll be thankful to him. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says. He reflects this on, on this whole concept. He says, It is both our duty and our happiness to use all that we have to glorify him, who, though he was rich, yet became poor for our sakes. Listen to this. Is he truly ours? Then let ours be truly his. Is he truly ours? Then let ours be truly his. I like that. I like that. I think he's got the key there. The most famous of the 107 questions and answers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism of the late uh, of the 1640s was the first one. Out of 107, the most famous was the first one. It goes like this. Question is, what is the chief end of man? And I'm sure some of you can answer it. Answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Can, can I, are you enjoying God this morning? 
Are you? We're going to have some baptisms in a couple of weeks. I guarantee that won't be filled with lemon juice. <laughs> so we ought not to be looking like we've been baptised in lemon juice. In our prayer meeting, I'm going a bit over the place here, but I've got to tell you this. In our prayer meeting, someone, called, someone was accused of being smiley. Hey, smiley, why do you smile all the time? Remember that, Charlie? Why they smile? I got called smiley once. In a course, I can still remember it. I didn't even know I was smiling. And the, the cardiac, sorry, it was a cancer nurse. They were presenting a cancer thing. And it was quite solemn, talking about people who were dying with cancer and so on and how that affected ambulance officers and our treatment of them. And I, my mind went straight back to my mother who died at the age of 46 with cancer. But she loved Jesus. She came to know Christ. She had this beam on her face which impacted me so powerfully that I came to Christ through that. Watching her going through this pain and the agony of cancer. Watching her strip away her weight and everything. And yet this face was radiant. What was going on? I was a non-Christian. And I could see her face. And so as this nurse is presenting that, she looked at me and she said, What do you think, Smiley? And I told her. I said, yeah, my mum died of cancer, but before she did, she met Jesus Christ who changed her life. And I did. God gave me a boldness to share that testimony right there. Of course we smile. The Spirit of God indwells us. She didn't say too much to me after that. And I wasn't trying to be smart. It was just simply an opportunity that God gave right there and then. And we seize those divine appointments. Hey, he's got some for you this week. You look out. It'll be fantastic. But you know, in view of this message, yeah, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I just want to like to add in, in view of this message, including everything that he richly provides for our enjoyment. Fourthly, let me move on. Fourth key, be willing to share with others. Want to enjoy God's gifts of enjoyment for you? Well, well, be willing to share those with others. And it may be your testimony. It may be simply that. God's filled you with joy. Well, tell people why you smile. Tell people why you have a deep joy. I'm not talking again. You hear me, hear me with this. I'm not talking about walking around doing this. I'm not talking about stuff like that. That's superficial rubbish as far as I'm concerned. I'm talking about a deep joy that comes from you having a relationship with the living God who took away your sin, who took away your condemnation, your shame, your guilt. All that's washed away. You're a brand new creation. You should have a joy smile on your face and people should notice the difference and want to know what it is that you've got that they don't have. Be willing to share with others. Look at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. One commentator, I don't even know who it is, he says this, Wealth imposes a heavy responsibility on its possessor. The greater our means for doing good, the greater our obligation. And I think you may have heard that before. But in terms of enjoying the enjoyment that God gives, it's important to understand that it's not just a matter of opening the wallet that pleases God. He's not really interested in what's in your wallet, you know. He's interested in what's in your heart. When you open your wallet, well, open your heart first, and then you'll know the enjoyment that God gives. Pleasure from God as he sees you being a cheerful giver. 
saying, thank you, Jesus, this is for you. And I believe that that's what God's word means when it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Bible commentator Ralph L, he says this, a kind heart as well as a generous hand is demanded of the rich. It is easier to give money than to give ourselves. But love requires both. How then do we enjoy God's gifts of enjoyment? Here it is, four. Four things. Acknowledge God as the giver. Guard against greed and pride. Enjoy what God gives and be thankful. Be willing to share with others. You know, my dear friends, you know, when we take hold of these things and we apply these keys to our lives, I believe that we have that assurance from God's word that we will experience enjoyment as God intends for you to receive and experience. Again, I read another book. I've got a book at home by Chuck Swindoll. It's called, it's a book of stories and so on. It's called The Tale of the Tardy Ox Cart. The Tale of the, uh, sorry, The Tale of the Tardy Ox Cart is the name of this book by Chuck Swindoll. And he quotes a writer called Sherwood Wirt. And I want to close with this thought. He says this, this guy Sherwood Wirt, he, he shares this. He says, C.S. Lewis told me, okay, C.S. Lewis told me, there is too much solemnity, solemnity and intensity in dealing with sacred matters, too much speaking in holy tones. You've got to keep the balance here, right? The tragic loss in all of this pious gamesmanship is to the individual in the pew who begins to feel that in the midst of the religious razzle-dazzle, he cannot get through to the Lord himself. We have learned that joy is more than a sense of, of the comic. It's more than earthly pleasures. And to a believer, even more than what we call happiness. I love what he says. Listen to this. Joy is the enjoyment of God. Joy is the enjoyment of God and the good things that come from the hand of God. If our new freedom in Christ is a piece of angel food cake, joy is the frosting. If the Bible gives us the wonderful words of life, joy supplies the music. If the way to heaven turns to be an arduous and steep climb, <laughs> joy sets up the chairlift. <laughs> yeah. How are you going with these thoughts in your mind this morning? God wants you to ponder that as we pray. Let's just pray together. Father, it's a, a difficult topic. It's one that's controversial. It's one that may raise more questions than answers. But it's one from your word. And we pray you help us to settle accounts in our hearts before you. That's the main thing. May we all walk away from here, Lord, pondering the things that you have said to our hearts the things we may need to read up on, the things we may need to go over again. But please, oh please, Lord, help us to enjoy the things that you give us for our enjoyment. And not to rob you of the pleasure that you want to have as a father giving good gifts to his children and for us to turn our nose up at them or turn our back or put our hand up in your face and say, Father, sorry, we can't take that. We can't accept that. Keep us from that kind of arrogant pride as well. 
But help us, we pray, to keep that balance, to be able to still weep with those who weep, Lord, but to rejoice with those who rejoice. We thank you for deep joy. We thank you that it's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So meet us, Lord. Do your work amongst us. Settle our hearts, we pray. And help us to go from this place with a new spring in our step, casting burdens off to you, allowing you to give us your yoke, your burden, because your yoke is easy and your burdens are light. As are not. Help us to live as people that you want us to live, to show and to shine the light of your love and of your goodness, of your enjoyment and of your pleasure in our lives. Lord, do your work, we pray. We thank you that you will as we open ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, church.